Um, fools will miss the details. They don't pay attention. They don't connect the dots. They don't see what God is doing. They don't see God's handiwork and how he puts this here and this here and this here and this here and how it all kind of works together and connects. Wise people are just, they get enamored with the details. They notice everything. Um, and, and maybe even sometimes go above and beyond noticing everything. And, and if you're going to live life a certain way, I would say go above and beyond. Make sure you take the time to notice everything. Um, fools have no expectations or hopes. And that is our culture. That is the world that we live in. That's one of the reasons that the world is so dangerous. Because people have no expectations. They have no hope. They're living for themselves and the best idea that they've got, the best thought that's in their head. Wise people are always looking toward the events that are happening around them with that anticipation of what's going to happen next. Because there's something big coming. What's the next big thing God's going to do? What's the next thing he's going to use you for? What's the next environment he's going to put you in? What's going to happen next? Um, we talked about the Magi a little bit. Uh, I said that if you take a look, a close look at them, they are unique in the historical context. We don't have any other group of people like them in history to compare them to. I, I also think that's one of the details of the passage that sometimes we just lose because we just know they're the wise men and they come and we put them on a nativity scene and that's just what they do. But there's, there's, no, there's no equal to them. Historically, on the pages of history, their power, their ability, what they did, the clout that they had, how they were used. There's nothing we have to compare them to. And so you say, well, the wise men were like, I mean, the best we've come up with are kings from the Orient. They're not kings. They're king makers, which is better than being king because you can make or break the king. But these guys were the king makers. And uh, I don't know if we'll get that far tonight, but we'll also mention the fact that not, and not all magi necessarily were good. There were some bad magi out there. Bad magi got bad, bad juju. And so they had, had a bad, but there were some bad, bad groups of magi out there historically. And we've completely lost them in history as well. But if you can imagine, these guys are king makers. And if they're good, that's great. Can you imagine how an evil group of magi would operate? That's the stuff of an Indiana Jones movie. All right. Um, the roots go back to Daniel in the Old Testament, and we talked about Daniel's obedience rippling through history. And that's where we were last week, okay? So let's go and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to uh, have somebody read for us the first 12 verses, if you wouldn't mind, and set the tone for what we're going to do. Matthew, yeah, go ahead. 2, 1 through 12? Yep, please. Uh, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began to inquire of them where the Christ was to be born. And they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and 
make careful search for the child, and when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. And having heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and they came into the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country by another way. Familiar story, right? The story of the Magi. They show up and they give Jesus presents and we, we know what they did. Uh, and when I suggested to you during the Christmas season, we kind of wrapped up our Christmas series, I started talking just kind of off the cuff a little bit about the Magi. And, and I was amazed at some of the stuff that I heard via email even this past week where people were like, well, I just never knew that about them. And we don't. Uh, but this is one of those times where the details, I think, really do matter. And I think are especially helpful for us in the world that we live in today. And so when we begin, we'll start tonight with the, with the idea of, you know, we'll think about how they traveled. Because when I was growing up, we sang a song I, uh, about three lonely kings traveling on camels across the desert. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, and, I, you know, it brought back to mind an old Ray Stevens song I used to know. But it was, um, you know, just, you know, we, uh, traveling across the desert, these three lonely kings are making their way from the far east looking for a star. And, Hey, you get to, they get to Jerusalem, and they get to run around, and then an angel shows up, and they have to go somewhere else, and they're just following the star. But my question is, um, well, first, dismiss that image from your head. Okay, That is not what this story is about. That is not what it was like. I don't care what they put on Christmas cards. There were no lonely three guys on a camel following the star above a manger. That does not happen. Great Christmas cards, by the way. Don't not buy them. Feel, I feel sorry for the people who do them. Drawn because it, because that's not the story. So you got to lose that because this is a detail that really does matter. This is a detail that's big in the story. Because if you think about it, their journey is kind of like your journey, right? I mean, all of us have taken a journey to get to Jesus at some point. Uh, and our journeys are all different in this room. I mean, some of you, your journey was as easy as your mom and dad slapped you in a cradle you were put in a cradle roll of some local church, and you grew up in that church, and you uh, were loved by the ladies that ran the nursery. When you were big enough to be a little kid, they let you have, run around the church, and you went to all the stuff that they did. The church doors were open. You were there. You just kind of almost, almost by osmosis snuck into the kingdom of heaven. But one day you realized, i got to make a decision for myself, and you did. And you just had that kind of easy path. Others of you, oh, my gosh, you, you, you crawled around on your bellies in the gutter. And you, uh, you, you, uh, you, were, you, were, you were little street urchins out there urchining, and your life uh, was a mess, and it was dismal. I say is dismal, was dismal, and um, yeah, it was awful. I mean, you were literally hanging over hell like a weenie until that moment that God reached down and plucked you away and said, Behold, Oscar Meyer, I'll heal you, and you can be a part of the kingdom of God. Now, that, that, and some of you, that's your story. You know, that's awesome. But our journeys are all different. And, and it should give you pause, and we'll get there eventually by the end of the series, um, because it really is an answer to this thought I'm going to roll out. Um, 
Don't you find it intriguing that in the birth story of Jesus, we're introduced to people from a pagan religion in a pagan world who really weren't considered to be human by most Jews, and God uses them as primary players in his big redemption story. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been around church a long time. I know how we deal with people of different faiths. <laughs> we get nervous. And yet, these guys are pagans. They study the stars. They weren't accepted by the Jews. The Jews feared them. But they weren't accepted. You didn't invite the Magi over for dinner. <laughs> and yet, this is who God chooses to use. And I think it's important to remember when you deal with people. I mean, I think um, this isn't, well, uh, yeah, okay. Foolish people um, miss the journey that God has them on. Wise people realize that the journey is an important part of who God has prepared them to be. I, I'm, I am, and I am very grateful. I know my mom will watch this, you know, later in the week or whatever. I'm, great, I'm grateful that my mom drug me to church, and I, you know, I got to grow up in the walls of the church, and as I told you many times, I learned to sin at church, like most good Christian kids do. You know, I could get in a lot of trouble at church. Um, but yet, great experiences there. I was never fearful of church. I loved going to church. I loved being able to be at church uh, and, and build relationships there. And I, I loved to get to know the leadership of the church. And they were gracious enough to want to get to know me, which allowed me to do what I do today. Uh, they're very personal, real. And so all of that kind of builds into, you know, the journey. And when you're wise, you recognize how God takes and uses that. But also when you're wise, you also have to recognize that people have different journeys. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody, and as you're talking to them, they're talking to you, and you're like, boy, I have no, I can't relate to you at all. I have no idea where you've been or your background. I mean, it just, it's as foreign to me as anything could be. And, and sometimes that's the way that people are. That's fine. It doesn't minimize their journey. It doesn't mean that the journey is not just as important as yours. And so that matters. Um, after seeing the star... The Magi believed that that star was the sign that Daniel had talked about and written about in the Old Testament. Now we come back to what we talked about again last week. Isn't it amazing that Daniel is a guy who is basically a captive in a foreign land that becomes respected, becomes a leader, and his writings and prophecies are held in such high regard that years later, people would still be studying them and recognize this star as the symbol that they needed to go find the Messiah that Daniel had talked about so many years ago. See, don't think that God can't use you in a pagan place. Don't think that God can't use you in a place where you're the odd man out. You know, God sometimes puts you into the fire. And when he puts you into the fire, you're in the fire for a reason. He doesn't forget about you in the fire. He puts you there, and he wants to use you, and he wants to do something. And if he puts you there, here's what I know. You're ready to be there. 
See, Daniel's that guy, if you go back and we didn't spend a lot of time talking about him, but you know, we did talk a little bit about that basketball coach that does the Daniel diet. And um, you know, Daniel was bold enough to say, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm going to eat this food instead. And then Darren said, well, well let's, take, let's have a contest. Me and the boys, you know, Shad, me, and a bed, we'll eat this. And we'll see how they compare to this when we're done. And it worked. I mean, you know, God, you know, God gave him a holy boldness. I mean, Daniel, Daniel's tough. I mean, Daniel's guy's in the lion's den. You remember, right? I mean, he's in there in the hole with the lions. And I don't know what that looked like exactly, but I think, I think the lions were terrified. Uh, because God's creation, they know the creator. And so Daniel in the lion's den comes out, and he comes out walking bold and proud. And so all these years later, they, uh, they keep moving forward, and they start building off his idea and his prophecy. And so it's going to be a long journey. The Magi load up. The route was going to be hazardous. And the idea that the Magi traveled alone is about as ridiculous as the President of the United States going out to the Wawa. Now, I'm not going to make any political statements because I, I could at this point. I'm not going to say anything about that. But anyway, this is, it would be the idea that the President of the United States could wander out and go to a Wawa unprotected <coughs> and mingle among people and, 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 and be okay. I mean, it just, it just doesn't happen that way. And so to take the idea and move it back into our context, the idea that the Magi would travel alone it's just, it's just not the story. And so we have to remember that. They traveled in large caravans with a lot of camels and a lot of other animals to carry their precious cargo. It took them some time to load up. They made the long journey to find Jesus. And so they would be carrying tents. So because they're going to travel for years, or at least a year, maybe 18 months. So every night they got to camp somewhere. They had to bring servants that could set up the tents because the Magi weren't going to do that. So they had to bring a workforce with them, not only to set up the tents, but also to prepare the food and the meals. And um, they probably did not ride on camels at all. They probably ride, rode in great coaches and were carried either by servants or by animals, but they, they, they didn't ride on they, were, they weren't riding you know, on, on Humphrey the Humpback Camel. They were, you know, they were riding in some kind of coach that was pretty plush, or plush for the day. Um, you know, it was, it, was, it was a tough journey, but they were as comfortable as they could possibly be. Um, when on the way to Jerusalem, their caravans would have passed through cities and villages that would have included people who were less than happy that they were there. And so it was a dangerous journey. The Magi rarely traveled far from their home. And when they had to travel long distances, they would bring bodyguards and they would bring an army. They would bring a fighting force with them. Um, we can postulate that, if, let's say there were just three magi. There were more than that, but let's say there were just three. Okay? Um, they would have had several hundred servants, bodyguards, and soldiers to accompany them, along with their cargo. If there were as many as 12 magi, as some have suggested... Uh, there would have been over a thousand or more servants, highly trained soldiers, bodyguards to protect them. 
and to ensure their safety of the vast treasures. You remember, they're bringing stuff too. So they got somebody to protect the treasures that they're bringing to the Christ child. Um, because they were known to give gifts to nobles and kings and politicians. And if you're allowed to peek back in history to see those magi, um, you would find that they probably traveled. And as they traveled, um, they would uh, travel in what would be some robes, clothes, and stuff like that. But when they approached the city and people knew the magi were coming, they would stop the caravan. And they would put on their fancy robes. And they would put on that regal-looking stuff that they would wear. Uh, Because when they went to the city and they made their appearance in the city, they had to look the part. They were feared and loved, but they were celebrities. And that's what they did. Um, They were from the upper crust in eastern lands. And so they would dress formally. They would dress less formally at other times. And so what I just explained to you meant they also had to bring wardrobe. You ever been with somebody... Bought too much luggage? <laughs> Think of the Magi. Robes are not easy to pack. And so they would have had to take up a lot of room. Um, and so they get to the story. We go back to the story. And they enter Jerusalem. And they run into Herod. Herod um, heard that the Magi were approaching. It throws him into a frenzy. Um, and here's a little historical blip that we don't pick up in the Christmas story. And maybe you know this and maybe you don't. But Herod had already had one run-in with the Magi. This ain't his first rodeo with the Magi, according to history. As a matter of fact, historically, there was a movement to unseat Herod as ruler. And the Magi, from a distant land, heard about it. And they lent their support to the group that was a part of the uprising. So in other words, they already picked a side and it wasn't Herod's side. What the Magi did not do was that they did not send money, food, supplies, weaponry, missiles, nukes (laughs) to the insurgents who were going to fight and try to unseat Herod. So they gave it that we give you our blessing and we're for you. We're not going to come help you, but we're for you. We agree the world would be better without Herod. So see, Herod already had history with the Magi. And we don't get that at all in our Christmas story. You've got to go back and kind of go back in history to dig that up. That happened uh, in about 39 B.C. So this time when they're coming, he's got to be thinking, Ooh, why are they coming now? What's this trip about? Because he already knows. They don't like him. And he's not thrilled. Um, what are they going to do when they get here? And so this was very fearful to have it. Somebody read uh, verse 2 again, if you wouldn't mind. We're still in verse 2. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Yeah. <laughs> That's the question. But they arrived in the city asking that question. See, that wasn't a question that was just reserved for Herod. They didn't go knock on, hey, Herod, where's the one who's born king of the Jews? They, they made their appearance in the city asking that question. The people were hearing that question. See, the people who didn't know anything about the birth of Jesus or a baby in a manger or anything like that, they had no idea. Here come these kingmakers, and they arrive in the city, and they haven't seen Herod yet. 
But as they make their way through the city and the spectacle of these guys moving down the streets of the city, moving into the city, and what they're doing is they're asking, where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? To say that Herod was in an uproar and the city was in an uproar is a huge understatement. Um, the word that's used there for saying in the original context is important because in the Greek, it actually means that the crowds heard them saying, saying, and saying. In other words, they kept repeating it. And so it wasn't like, hey, we're here to see the king. It was just as they made their way through the city, they kept repeating the same question. Hey, where's the king? Where's the king? You know where the king is? You know where the king is? You know where the king is? So it is a repetition that's happening. That again, we lose in our translation sometimes. But we don't understand that they keep repeating this because they are there on a search, and this is where they think they're going to find the Savior. Um, because of Daniel and because of his writings, they believed um, that this is where that world leader was going to be born. Foolish people. Um, ignore history, um, and they refuse to learn from the past. Here's a group of magi who didn't ignore history. They held on to the prophecies of history. They studied it. They knew it. And when the time came, they were ready to do something because of what they had known. Foolish people still run around in this dangerous world, and they don't learn anything from history. We learn nothing from our past. We don't pay attention uh, to the things that God has done or already brought us through. Wise people recognize that everything that happens is for a reason, that everything that happens is a learning moment. And so one of the reasons that we even study or take the extra time to study this passage is because this history matters. The historical context of this passage matters probably a lot more than any of us have ever taken the time during Christmas to think about. There's a richness to what these guys are doing. It enhances, it puts the exclamation point, it explains a great deal of the story about the life of Jesus that we lose Jesus for a little while in this, remember? I mean, we don't see Jesus again until you know, after he's a teenager. So, I mean, this is the last moment that we catch a snapshot of Jesus before we see him at the temple later on. And these are the guys that give us the snapshot. Why? Because they paid attention to history. They knew where to go. They knew how to react. They knew what to do when the time came. You ever find yourself in a situation you go, wow, I, 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 I don't know what to do. And you're immobilized because you, got, you, you seem to have no alternatives and then somebody comes along and knows exactly what to do. And they just do the right things. Now, two things are going on there. One, they've got some experience they're drawing from, or two, they're just lucky. <laughs> but they're not afraid to try. These guys were willing to believe in the prophecy that was there and they chased that prophecy. And this is what they discovered. Now, Matthew 2.2 2 says... Um, we've seen the star in the east. Um, that's because of Daniel, again. That's because of Daniel's influence. And so the Magi recognized the star as being that sign that they needed to find Jesus. Um, notice what else the Magi declared as they rode into Jerusalem. Matthew 2.2 2 again. It says they were saying, and depending on your translation, you have this. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have come, or we have seen his art in the east, and have come to worship him. If your Bible is translated accurately, 
when it says we're looking for the king of the Jews, king will probably be capitalized. In the Greek original text, the word king is capitalized, and it means that they were not looking for just any king. They were looking for the greatest Jewish king ever to be born. And the reason, the declaration that they make of why they were looking for that king is simple. They're there to worship him. Uh, so there's, there's no hidden agenda with these guys. They show up, and they're looking for the king. Don't give me any king. We're looking for the king, and we're here to worship him. Make sure that the king is always the king that you're looking for. Um, foolish people worship the wrong king. Wise people worship the king of kings. Um, we all worship a lot of stuff. I know we say we don't, but we all do, because we all have our favorite things. And they probably hold a little bit more value than we, they ought to in our life. It's probably a sin or a struggle point that we all have, because, you know, you just, you know, we just have our personal preferences. But hopefully none of those personal preferences are ever bigger or more important than the king himself. The king matters. The king is what wise people will worship. Um, and so, the word worship says one who falls prostrate on the ground in humble adoration. Um, it is a inferior giving reverence to a superior. That's the word or the verbiage that's used there. Um, that's the worship that they're going to do. And when it says they had seen the star in the east, the word seen means to see, behold, to delightfully view, to scrutinize, inspect, and behold with the intent to examine. So in other words, when they saw the star, there's a period of time that passes because they have time to study that star. And they study that star in the context of what Daniel wrote and come to the conclusion after really studying the star that this is the sign that Daniel had talked about. That too says a lot about this Magi group, but it also says something about foolish people and wise people. Foolish people live their life by making knee-jerk reactions. They just react to everything and it's just all over the planet. Whatever the latest thing is, whatever the latest group is, whatever the latest thing to try is, they just do it. Why? Because everybody else is doing it. And it's a knee-jerk reaction. It tends to usually get you in trouble, and it never lives up to the hype. Um, that's why if you're tired at night, you shouldn't watch infomercials all night. Because you will make purchases that you'll regret in the morning. Um, and um, and uh, it's a different story. Anyway, but this is not a knee-jerk reaction. Okay? And wise people don't make knee-jerk reactions. Wise people will study. They will prepare they will learn, and they will grow um, because that knowledge is what brings them to the conclusion that it's time to travel, and that's what they do. Matthew 2.3 says, When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. He was terrified that they had guests, but he had to be nice to the guest. Uh, he had to cater to these guys. He had to make nice. Um, and Herod is not a good man. And, of course, the city is in an uproar because Herod is Herod. And Herod, as a very bad ruler, 
also is very insecure. He killed his sons, brothers, anybody that was going to make a threat that he believed would take over the kingdom. Didn't matter who it was. Uh, He'd kill you. And so he had this wildly insecure leader. And fast forward to the story. You know what he does. He basically makes a decision to eradicate every boy. Two years of age and under. In an attempt to kill this newborn king. Doesn't care about the people. Doesn't care about the families. Doesn't care about the people who live there. He doesn't care about ruling wisely. He doesn't care about their lives or their livelihoods. He doesn't care about their families. He's just going to kill anybody that he thinks is a threat. That's evil. I mean, that is just evil. It's just a blanket. You're the right age, you die. With the theory that I'll, I'll, I'll get him. I'm going to get him. And it's worth it because I'm still king. That's Herod. That's who he was. And see, that is, in the story, an extremely hard hurdle, if you will, to get over. Because every child, every male child, two years of age and under in Jerusalem was killed. Because Herod was trying to eliminate Jesus. And there's a lesson that we need to hold on to for just a second. And we'll wrap up here now and get you out of here. But uh, evil doesn't play by the same rules that God followers do or the people who love God do. It just doesn't. Evil's evil. It doesn't matter. Whatever the cost, whatever it takes, evil will do to accomplish what evil wants, even if it's killing innocent children, willy-nilly. That's a part of the Christmas story. See, we don't recognize, we don't stop long enough to think about it, but when Jesus emerges some 30-some-odd years later and he steps out and begins doing ministry, he brings in his wake all of the effort and all of the things that had to happen to keep that child safe. And for the Jews... Can you imagine being a parent who lost a child because Herod had killed them only 30 years later to hear Jesus proclaim himself to be the Messiah? And you start connecting dots and saying, wait a minute, my kid was killed so this guy could emerge. See, we we don't think about those people. Those people aren't a part of our story. But they're a part of this story. They're a real part of this story. There's a part of this story that matters because God is God and God did what needed to be done to take care of his son to make sure that redemption could happen. This afternoon I had a conversation with a guy. Um, it, 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 I, 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 I replayed it a couple times in my head. I would like another shot at it. I won't get it because uh, I think I blew it. But he basically told me, Jeff, I can't believe in hell. I can't believe in hell 
because my six-year-old daughter is dead and she didn't know Jesus. And so you're telling me that your God put her in hell. I said, that's not what I'm telling you. I said, but here's what I can tell you. I, I, I didn't make up the rules. I said, because if there's not a hell, do you think that you can die and just go to heaven? Well, yeah. Why? I said, that's foolish. Because for one to be real, the other has to be real. And we have to come to grips with that. And I said, and what you have to decide is will you come to grips with that and roll the dice and see if in that last moment, in those hours, in that stuff that you don't know what was going on, that God did what God often does and God came through. I said, I can't tell if he did it. I don't know. But I know if I'm going to roll the dice and hedge my bets, I'm never going to bet against God. I said, I'm not telling you he sent your daughter to hell, but I know what you're saying. I said, but I know God's fair and I know God's just. And I said, and so you need to believe in hell because it's real. And I said, if your little girl made it to heaven, you don't want to miss that, do you? And he said, I don't want to talk to you about this ever again. That's cool. Conversation's over. We'll see. It was set up through a guy in Virginia for me. Um, For some reason, they thought I was the guy they needed to talk to. Lord, I blew that, didn't I? But it's, it's one of those moments where you've got to come to grips with the fact I can't, I, I can't begin to give an account for all that God does. But I know that God is good. He's been good to me. I said it Sunday. Here's how I know that God's real. He hasn't vaporized me yet. <laughs> and he should have. On more than one occasion. And maybe this afternoon. I don't know. But at the end of the day... God will do whatever it takes to accomplish his big plan for this creation. And even in this story, you've got to come to grips with that. Quick question. Have you heard anything up to this point about the Magi that you didn't know before? Yes. Okay. If so, then... I'm going to leave you with this thought, and this is where we'll pick up next week. Two years have passed. You're Joseph. You are a carpenter. I have a picture in my office. You need to open my door as you're walking out. Just look above my closet door. There's a picture on the wall that was given to me at Christmas that I got to get framed and put up on the wall. But it's hanging there right now. Um, that first time I saw it, it made me cry. Now I just look at it in the morning when I come in to remind me of what I do for a living. Um, Joseph has been assigned the task of protecting Jesus, who's now toddler Jesus. He's not baby Jesus. He won't stay in the manger. He's got to get up now. He's toddler. <laughs> and so they have, they've made Jesus a little Lightning McQueen bed. It's awesome. They, he, he likes to watch Disney videos. 
And so here's this Jewish man who's in charge of taking care of this child. And he looks down the street. And in comes the caravan. The camels. The coaches. The army. The servants. And the stuff. Let's say there are 12. That's a parade of well over a thousand people coming down the street to your house. And they stop right in front of your door. Do you not think for a minute that Joseph grabbed his hammer and a spike and looked toward heaven and said, God, do I have to make a stand now? I mean, he, he, Joseph literally looks out his window into the face of an army, and he doesn't know why they're there. And he lets them into his house, and he watches these kingmakers kneel in front of his son, who basically is playing around on the floor. See, I don't even know how you process that moment. But next week when we talk about what the Magi gave Jesus, if you're a carpenter with a young family and you're in over your head, talk about hitting the lottery and not knowing what to do with it. Because what happened next is absolutely crazy. That's the story of the Magi. And that's where we kind of come to in the story next week. It's an amazing story. It's an awesome story. It's a story that we ought to spend a lot more time with. But we're done for tonight because you got to go home. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story. What a story it is. It's a story that um, ripples through our life and heart and changes everything. Help us to ponder some of the stuff we heard tonight. Help us to have an appreciation for what's taking place. And give us a desire to know more and to live wisely in a dangerous world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.